Episode, the penultimate episode of the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy, Bowfinger, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts for the, for the final week, actually the final two days of, uh, of the Bowfinger Minute. Thanks for being with us. Uh, my co-host uh, for today's episode is your pilot of the airwaves, uh, one of my favorite Movies by Minutes podcasters, Mr. Alan J. Sanders. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for uh, bringing me back in. I had a great time earlier in this movie with Movie Rob. The two of us enjoyed having some time here and always, always looking to come in and bat a couple of extra spots when somebody might fall out of the order. <laughs> wow. Well, you, you've, you've done a yeoman's job on, on this whole podcast. Um, we, we've got a great minute here. Uh, one of my favorite parts of this movie it just ends with a bang. And I, I love getting in here. Uh, we're, we're watching, we're kind of in the opening seconds of uh uh, fake purse ninjas watching uh, <laughs> watching Kit Ramsey's brother Jif uh, walking into a, a knockoff Gucci purse factory and uh, getting into a major kung fu fight with appropriate music to ensue. Um, just a wonderful music, uh, ending with uh, him surprising the uh, the boss of the uh, purse factory, who's being played by the uh, uh, ever loving uh, screenplay writer Afram uh, at the end. Uh, but just a great great minute in all. One of the things I loved about this movie is the fact that it, the whole thing, you don't have to have known anything about Hollywood or making movies or being behind the scenes. You just kind of know some stories, but anyone who's ever been on a film set or has done anything in, involved in Hollywood level productions, it's such a great satire parody of what it is to make a movie in Hollywood such that we even get the parody movie <laughs> At the yes. end, it's just, it's, it's amazing what they decide. And by the way, I don't know if you knew this, and you probably did. This is, you know, the project that everybody's been working on. They didn't even conceive of this until they were midway through filming the actual movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a stunning uh, thing to put in at the end, but it's just something that you could, you could hear Steve Martin and Frank Oz just parked sitting there thinking, you know, we could almost make a real movie in the middle of this movie. <laughs> Right. It's it's like the movie within the movie of how they made a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so I mean, this is the perfect where, you know, where the Bobby Bowfingers of the world wind up. They wind up making those movies that you see in the five dollar rack at Walmart. But, you know, it's like somebody's got to churn those things out and it might as well be him. This is this is his little piece of fame. And uh, all all the actors that he brought, you know, he has his crew bringing bringing them along with him. So uh, they really this is a win I, I mean it's you know you look at it and you go this is a this is a terrible film but for all of them hey it's show business we're working right no this is a 
when we, you know, when, when the world caught a flu and we changed the format of our show for a couple of seasons, we intentionally put in a horrible movie that was only available for free streaming. And Walt was forced to have to do a, a review. And it was so funny because it, you're right. We're, we're mocking in a way, in, a, in kind of a loving way, the cheesy productions, the, you know, the Sharknados of the world. But they're still doing it. They're still putting something out. These people, we interviewed a few of the actors. They still got paid, right? Yeah. To do something that we're sitting here kind of mocking. But I can guarantee you this. If, if any of those people said, look, it's not a big paycheck, but you get a chance to be on camera for a bit, I'd come running. Yeah, yeah. I'm working with an action star's brother. I mean, this is this is real life. They, you know, they, they've made movies like Operation Kid Brother featuring Sean Connery's brother in a, in a spy film. And, you know, all of these all of these things have some kind of a, a you know an, an analogy in real life and like you said we've all we've all been there knowing people that are almost famous <laughs> this, <laughs> this this is i i'm i'm reminded i you know i mean we we can talk we can talk a little inside baseball with uh with the radio business everybody you you and i probably know people who i i know i know one guy who shall remain nameless but he, he worked at a little you know like way upper dial am uh doing weather reports and i was in a I was in a Dunkin' and this was like back in the 90s and I was in a Dunkin' Donuts a couple of months ago and I heard this voiceover for some uh you know some infotainment commercial in the Dunkin' Donuts speaker I was like I know that guy that's so and so <laughs> but he's <laughs> you know he's here we are you know 30 years later and he's still got a job and he's still you know he's he's in show business um mm -hmm. and that that's where you know the, these little guys that we're seeing in this minute are you know are the ones that kind of fill up the whole entertainment business. Not everybody can be, uh, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio or something. They're just they're, they're right. the wit bizzles of the world. And you know what? This movie being almost a bit prescient, I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody thought about the day we were going to have so many options with streaming and on demand that some folks would just be looking for content of any kind, any caliber. Um, this idea that you could actually make a living putting these little B and C and D budget films together to go straight to streaming. And so, you know, you talked about the, the dollar bin at the, you know, straight to DVD. I know folks today who are still doing like projects like this straight to streaming. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's, they've all got the same, they've all got the same box cover, it's just a little, you know, they, they change out the faces on the boxes, but they're still there. And mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you know, I mean, there, this, this monster that we've created in streaming must be fed every, every week. You need something mm -hmm. new or people are going to cancel the subscriptions. Um, right. Yeah. And I mean, and, with, okay. Oh, I was, and you know, there is an entire subculture, if you want, that loves the bad movies they they have the bad movie nights they they look for the bad movies these movies do actually really well because they didn't spend a whole lot and even if they go straight to dvd straight to blu-ray straight to you know streaming a lot of times they make just enough money to not only have paid the bills but to make the next one yeah and it gives i mean gosh we're in we're in a genre here of, of talking about a movie every minute we need it too and so you know you you can talk about movies like the room and and really <laughs> a lot of a lot of times the bad movies give you more content to talk about than the you know you can say oh yeah that's a nice scene that's a nice scene but you you know being able to say oh my gosh look at the boom mic in this shot or <laughs> look you can see you know the, the guy's wearing sneakers and he's in rome uh, mm -hmm. you know it, it's uh it's more things to talk about um, but, uh, yeah, he, it's, it's really funny how well they've captured it in this, in this movie. Um, 
just what I, mean, I like about everything we're going to see here in this minute. And of course, it's about a minute and 40 seconds. I think the whole movie within the movie at the end of the credits here, it borrows from every just about 80s, 90s, uh, you know, action movie trope you can have packed into one minute and a half moment. I mean, yeah. everything from the silhouette holding the guns. And it's not just any gun. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're going to get into the detail, but one of those guns is literally a 50 caliber, yes, you know, yes, it's a, it's a belt sniper fed. Yeah, rifle. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, and of course he doesn't need, you know, he needs two, just not, not just one, but he needs two. Never mind having a free hand. <laughs> and, and walking in with them raised in the, raised to the ceiling mm -hmm. of this, you know, it's basically a gigantic hen house or something. It's, um, it's, it's very much a callback. And the first thing I saw was I was imagining Rambo two, you know, the yep. whole idea of the silhouette with the guns and it, and the guns are almost a character of the all to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's way calibers beyond need mm -hmm. uh, and nothing subtle about it either that, you know, he's, he's here. And the only, the only thing that the bad guys are equipped with, well, uh, poor, uh, Slater is up on the, <laughs> he's up on the second floor equipped with nunchucks um I, for for some reason you know and he's and he's a good 30 yards away from <laughs> where the date you know where he should have a fight um now but, you know you, you said he's got two but did you notice when he drops the guns and decides oh okay instead of being able to blow everybody away which would have been the most important thing to do when they're all coming at you with you know uh the idea that we're going to get into a fight he actually has three guns he had two in one hand and the sniper rifle in the other yes yes <laughs> <laughs> and and then drop, dropping dro dropping them and, you know and walking right into the very next trope of he's got there's some kind of a uh, you know a ninja army that's that's coming to attack him like some kind of karate school all wearing black berets and um if, but fortunately they do that other movie trope of fighting one at a time <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and he just goes goes down the list and 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 takes on i think it's like five different people uh, and coming within only, you know, not, you know, he didn't, he didn't go too much closer than two feet away from each of their, each of their heads, but still manages to KO all of them. The, the best, I mean, throughout this whole sequence, once again, because if you know, making movies and you realize the people who sell the punch are what make the hero look like they're punching, right? They're the ones who look like they know what they're doing because the, the, the extras, the stunt crew, they're all trained to take the backward flip and to take the hit and to sell the head nod or your head throwback. And our character is so afraid that he's going to get hurt. He's flinching and holding back. And yet these guys are selling it like he's in the, you know, a, a Bruce Lee movie. Yeah. And, and they're not even, they're not even trying like, like the camera work since the camera's on a fixed uh, railing. Uh, it can't, it, it's, it's the worst possible angle. He could have sold it if they were like right behind the bad guys, but it's just, we get these uh, uh, diagonal shots where you can see he's cleanly missing on every single take. Mm -hmm. um, but just, yeah, it's, <laughs> and it, it just keeps going on and on that he just never gets used to other people jumping after him. Right. Uh, and you, and you know, they would have, well, they were supposed to <laughs> choreograph. You would think he would know, but it's almost like they just said, go in there and these guys will just do it. It's, and having watched the movie up to this point, you wonder, did they even bother to block this scene? <laughs> yeah, there's no, you know, he's just, you just head toward them and we'll figure it out. But uh, just, oh, it's beautiful. And when you think about putting this scene together in, you know, in real life, this must have been incredible trying to choreograph how badly Eddie Murphy was going to play the part. Mm -hmm. um, it, 
it was amazing that he just knew which which way to flinch. Um, I'm glad you said that because you just triggered a memory back when Eddie Murphy, I think he was on with Johnny Carson. This tells you how many years I've been watching late night television. And it was right after Beverly Hills Cop and Eddie Murphy was on. And of course, that that movie was the movie that really just catapulted him. And he had had some duds and he was on there talking about and he goes, you know what? He goes, I I would never want to be in a fight He goes, I can guarantee you I would lose in two seconds. But you make me the star of a movie. I'll make it look like I can kick your butt. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's funny because remembering that from Beverly Hills Cop and then to see him, you know, 20 years or 15 years later making this movie. I think it's about 20 years because I think Beverly Hills Cop, I think it was 82. Yeah. So this is probably almost 20 years later, probably 18 years later. Right. Yeah. Um, He's out there acting like he doesn't know what he's doing, having done all of the action movies before. So, you know, he was probably having a blast. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's just fantastic work in being, you know, playing against his role, which Mm -hmm. I mean, he's typically the 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 wisecracking guy. And here he's not at all. He's just inept. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the beautiful, the, the over the top, uh, Kung Fu moves and, you know, getting, uh, the, the last, uh, the last baddie that he runs into actually does a double flip in the air while he's mm-hmm. getting beaten up with a fake Gucci purse. Um, and, and then the, uh, the beautiful sound effect where he's, you know, now put your, put your foot on his neck and break his spine. And they put in like the sound of uh, celery being chopped. It's just, it's just, the over the top sound effects were perfect for it too. And- and for those who have watched any Bruce Lee movie, that is such, and I know other Kung Fu movies did it, but growing up watching things like Enter the Dragon and all the Bruce Lee flicks, there's always that moment where he does the whole stomp, like, you know, it's the death stomp and makes the face the, <laughs> <laughs> and so they have to throw that in here. And it, the, the other, I mean, it's little thing, it's the language that we have of, of, uh, of movies the sound effects, even down to the point of it's the same sound effect for every punch. Every time mm-hmm. he hits somebody, it's always the same sound. It's just, so, you know, the, the, the sound guy is just hitting the hitting the button and going bang, 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 bang. But, uh, you know, there's no no variation at all. But it's it, it just it really you feel how badly made this movie is. One of the things I wanted to because uh, we kind of gloss past the guy trying to do the, the butterfly moves, the windmill moves with the two oh, swords. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy, he's got the, or Gil has the uh, purse, like he's, he's guarding his face and the actor knows, okay, well, I can't really hit him. So he's trying to like, and makes him look bad with yes. the knives because he's like, you're, you're ruining the blocking. I can't, I, I can't hit you. <laughs> it looks so awkward. And yeah. yet somehow can, it just keeps working in this scene. It, it just looks like he's sharpening the knives or something. And, you know, instead of, instead of attacking, he goes, well, I can't, I can't get any closer. So I'm just going to have to stand here and do this. <laughs> Uh, but just brutal, but beautiful. I mean, I just, and I can't figure the, the outfits some of them are wearing, they're wearing like gold silk sh- oversized shirts and, um, you know, eighties par- parachute pants. It, it, it's just the craziest uniforms mm-hmm. that the, the bad guys are wearing. Well, the uh, first two guys, which was kind of interesting. I didn't know if you were progressing up the level of like, you know, the, the side scrolling back, you know, in the days of the, the, the fighting video games. Yep. But the first two guys were wearing almost like shorts, boots, and a, and a beret, and they were shirtless. Where they had this little uh, collar almost around their shoulders. And then you graduate to the next layer where you've got the parachute pants, and they're actually wearing shirts. <laughs> you yes. know, yes. So it's almost like you're going through the levels. Like these were the entry-level guys, level one. Now you're at the level two guys, and he's working his way up to the baddie, yeah, to the he boss. Al- he almost needs a uh, like a Super Mario Brothers green pipe to get up to the 
to the next yeah, part. It just, it just feels that, like that, it, it, it's not, you know, it's like Konami, but it's more, it, it almost runs like uh, like Nintendo. I I do, my, my favorite part of this entire scene is as he's rolling, is rolling past the, uh, uh, the, the giant mirror, which oh, is... That, that's the best. <laughs> it, it, I mean, you see the, 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 and they've, They've graduated. I mean, this entire movie they were using uh, Ari Aeroflex cameras, but now they're using an actual Aeroflex movie cam, which is like a real. It's it's probably the kind of the kind of camera that they use to shoot Bowfinger instead of the movies that Bowfinger was shooting. They've they've moved up in the Aeroflex uh, environment, and uh, yeah, just that beautiful scene where it's not it, it's worse than a mic and uh, you know a mic boom shot mm-hmm. or or any or or seeing a a, a, a blocking uh, tape on the floor. Just getting the entire crew in the, in the background. Just, it's gorgeous. It's simply and gorgeous. I, I have to ask, the first time you saw this movie, when you were watching this little end movie, this this action movie that shows the next the next big production of Bowfinger Studios, Bowfinger International, did you expect to see this shot? Because it took me so off guard. I just, I had to pause and like go back and rewatch it and rewatch that they choreographed the camera and crew being caught in the mirror was just perfect it was it was spot on it was so and you know like you like you were saying earlier with uh with frank odds and and steve martin is like well why don't we just run the camera in front of a giant mirror that would that's something that he'd do and i get the feeling when when they were writing the script for this that they must have been telling war stories the entire time it's like how about this i knew a guy (laughs) back at you know fox who did it this way and another guy at paramount Mm -hmm. um it, it all just feels like these are retelling memories of stuff um and and it's it's perfect that i mean i can't imagine how many outtakes they must have done with this movie because even um as you're watching that scene where he's he's moving in front of the uh, the, the the mirror and the camera in the background uh eddie is smiling and i think he's trying to pretend that you know jiff is being excited about being in the film but it's still i think he's trying not to laugh in real life in this movie i may be misreading that but it just mm. it, it just feels like it no, and, and you t- you can tell he's looking off camera at people yelling at him. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> he goes back <laughs> and gets past the mirror. Everything about this, you know, you say that about the being on the set. And I have had, thankfully, uh, the, the pleasure of being on several movie sets early in my life before my kids got a little bit older. And I kind of pulled back from the dream of being, you know, a, a bigger actor. These stories you hear even from extras, they'll tell you about when somebody was on one set or another set or when somebody showed up and didn't know their lines or whatever. You're absolutely right. The war stories of having been through. And I know it's making a movie. It's not the same thing as war, but you feel like you've been through the gauntlet because these are 12, 14, sometimes 16 hour days. You're working six days a week. Things go wrong. Things aren't right. You have a bad director. You have an actor who isn't really good, but he got cast because they thought he was going to be really good. And it does, it creates the war stories. And it feels like that's what fueled a lot of what we just got done watching over the last 90 plus minutes. Yeah. And the amazing thing, the beauty of this, of the script of this script is everybody, everybody in this scene that, that you see, you know, you see the Heather Graham's character and you see the character of Afram and, and uh, Slater and all these other, other folks, you know what they were like through the whole movie and you identify with them and you're actually rooting for them, even though they're in this horrible movie, which, <laughs> which, you know, and, and it's like, as every second of the thing clicks by, it just keeps getting worse and worse and more <laughs> goofy. Um, but you really feel for them. And it's almost like it, 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 there's a catharsis of, gee, they really did get their, you know, their dreams did come true. Steve Martin got that, you know, Bowfinger got that FedEx letter that he always wanted. 
and you know here he is this to him this is a win this is show business he's he's a success it, at his level this is a success and mm -hmm. uh I, I think it's a very satisfying conclusion to this film I, um you don't know like i mean some movies they they end with showing you, you know, what happened next what happened to this or that but this actually gives you in a minute and a, half, a minute and a half that we're, we're gonna have finishing up tomorrow um it actually gives you a great idea of what their life was like after the movie was over. Right. And the, the thing that runs through it, and I think I talked about it a lot in the week that I was on because the constant exaggeration in Hollywood, the constant lies, if you will, the white lies that sometimes turn into really bald face lies. It's like everyone's lying to themselves. They're lying to each other. They're, it's all like they're all in a movie while they're talking about how they're going to make their next movie. It's almost like they're characters in real life. And these guys, I guarantee, are going to parties and saying, oh, we shot this major action sequence. It's going to be the next blockbuster. Because what are they going to do? They're not going to go and say, oh, we don't have enough money. This movie sucks. Don't come see it. Of course not. They're going to tell the exact opposite and embellish it as much as they can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chubby Rain, it had an L.A. premiere. It really did. We were there and all, mm -hmm. you know, and and, uh, and they and they can all say they were in a movie with Kit Ramsey. So, you know, you drop you drop that little thing and say, oh, my gosh, these people. And, you know, I, I've noticed over the weeks as we've had all these different hosts come in, everybody's pointed out the same thing. This whole idea of fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, in this in this, it feels like it's a scam. It's a con and things like that. It's like, yeah, but everybody has to do that to become. The person, you know, it, it's that whole dress for success kind of, you know, be yeah. dress what you want to, what you want to be, not what you are. And you wind up rooting for them because, you know, it's like, hey, who hasn't pretended to know more about something than they, you know, than they actually knew or tried to be looking more, you know, and, and we are, and it's funny, this is before, I mean, this is the birth of the internet in 99, but we are, we now live in a culture where, you only see the best of people. You know, you have you have the influencers and the Instagram things, and they everybody's everybody's already put put on their makeup, comb their hair, and before they turn the cameras on. Um, and this kind of you know, it still resonates even even thirty years later. You still get yeah, I understand these people. I understand who they are, and I know people like this. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's a beautiful film. It's just really uh, a very satisfying, a nice popcorn movie. I think let's to not make it sound like we're being necessarily too hard because you do fake it till you make it. They did upgrade. They were yeah. able to get the better camera. This is better sets. They actually have it all cast. They have extras who are meant to be in the movie. Yes. yes. Right? Well, everybody so, here knows that they're in the movie. <laughs> right. So in a sense, yeah, maybe, maybe he started his career a little later getting that, that actual gig that paid something. But he took it, reinvested it, and is making just a little bit better movie. So who knows? Maybe in 10 years, he'll be at that point where he's he gets to make a, a little bit of a budget, a bigger budget movie. He's going to get the, the that next level, and they can finally have made it after faking it for so long. Now, now this was 1999. Assume that Bowfinger was real. Where, where do you think Bobby would be, Bobby Bowfinger, at this point in his life? What would he, what would he be doing about now? 99 if he if if we go with the premise that he's still able to talk people into getting things and getting his way even if it's not quite to the quality but he's getting a little bit better he's probably worked out where he's going to have a limited series on one of the streaming channels they'll trust him with something like that yeah i i, I was thinking he, he might not be on hbo but he'd be like on something on pluto tv running a uh you know act inside the actor's studio and all the <laughs> having well, having some third tier people on his show 
Oh, I, I didn't think of it as a talk show. I, I actually thought that, you know, somebody could say, hey, we've got this kind of cheesy B-level, you know, mercenary, got to go in behind enemy lines and, and, and rescue a damsel in distress. We need somebody who can do it on, a, on the cheap because we're going to do a 10-episode limited series. And I could see something like that. Yeah, okay, yeah. Or, or I'm, I could see him producing not something like Survivor or, you know, a reality show, but it would be something like, a low budget, uh, you know, some kind of survivor, but it's set in Baltimore or, you know, something where, <laughs> you know, you know, like, like survivor, but you have to survive at ocean city, Maryland. And they only give each of the contestants $50 and they have to figure out how to, how to live for a month on $50 or something. Um, he does a reality show on how to make a movie. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Kit Ramsey, who's probably fallen on harder times, you know, he used to be famous, but not that famous anymore is uh, his, like his MC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could see that. Yes. Um, Let me ask you this. Cause I know I was, I was a little hard in the sense of Steve Martin, because you always, at least for me growing up, seeing so many Steve Martin movies where he's a wholesome, good guy, even if he's scamming somebody, he he's still likable. And I made the comment earlier in the movie that this is the first movie where I felt almost like he was a little icky, almost not, not enough for me to not like him, but this was the closest he's ever pushed me to where I'm like, I could see where someone may not like uh, his character. Okay. Well, I don't, I would, for that, I would counter with dirty rotten scoundrels. Oh, I love dirty rotten scoundrels because I know it was all about playing the game. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so it, but I, I li- it, I, maybe I liked him doing that. This one. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause no. he's talking to real people with real dreams and he's lying to so many yes. people. I just felt like, Oh, come on. You gotta have a soul, please. Just a little bit of ethics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He would like, he wouldn't be the jerk. He's the guy that's playing on the jerk. He'd be, you know, like, 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 scam, like scamming his, his neighbor. Um, well, what but, do you think? I mean, you've seen a lot of Steve Martin. Did well, How did you feel about his characterization in this movie? Oh yes. He was perfectly slimy. I mean, he was such a, a cad, a bounder, a, you know, it, it, he, he could have easily fit in with, um, uh, you know, like, like Newman and Redford in the sting. He just, he, he knew all the cons. I mean, some, something like, you know, uh, I, I mean, my, one of my favorite scenes is when, uh, he's, uh, basically Daisy and Bowfinger are seducing each other to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Daisy goes into the other room, and as she's doing that, he reaches into her purse and pulls out her, her credit card. And he says, thank you. And the next, the, they have this Gilligan cut to the, to the next scene where he's buying thousands of dollars worth of film. And the guy behind the counter says, thank you, Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, it's just such a slime. He, it's, he's a lot like Eddie Murphy's character in Trading Places. Yeah. But I, and, and I, it's hard to put my finger. It's like, yeah, he's done a, a magnificent job playing that kind of a slimy, but at the same time, it's Steve Martin. And I'm like, come on, I want to, I want to like you. And it pushed me to, to almost not liking him. Yeah. Yeah. It's he, which by the way, I think is the point, but it's still, it hurt, it hurt me because I, I, I've always loved almost everything Steve Martin's done because he's always like the father of the bride or he's the dad, or he's this person who's, who's got the advice and yeah, goofy things happen, but he's a likable guy. This is not a likable guy. No, not, not, (laughs) not in the slightest, but, but the thing is everybody in this movie has a game they're playing. They're all scammers. And you know, it's, I mean, the only one that really, the the only one you can really feel as a victim is, is Kit, Kit Ramsey is, (laughs) you know, he's just annoyed about how, how his, uh, 
how his career is going. He doesn't have his uh, Hasta La Vista baby. And he's got an entourage of people that, that you know, just you, he doesn't even know who, is, who, who works for him. He doesn't know the name of the chauffeur that's driving him around. Um, but, you know, everybody else, well, maybe Afram. I, I'd say the Afram, well, Afram wants to be something else. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, but his, you know, I think about his other, his other cast, Carol is, uh, Carol thinks she's already made it. And uh, she's, you know, she's she's doing like like uh, dinner theater in in uh, Toronto and stuff. Um, but it's like all of them have a are wheeler dealing. Like you know, Dave Dave has a thing where he's going out and washing people's car, but also borrowing their car while you know while they're while they're at a meeting somewhere. So mm-hmm. it's but it's you know, and it's like this is anybody who's been in the Hollywood environment will know people who are like this. That it's it's however they can get ahead. It's not. Uh, it's not wrong if it's advancing your career. Right. That's, that's that's the moral of it. Yeah. It's only wrong if it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're in trouble. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's it. Don't get in trouble and everything's fine. Um, <laughs> you you wind up getting a lifetime achievement award at the Oscars. Uh, wow. But it is. I mean, I, I really am glad. I, I was kind of worried about t- taking this picture because the last time I did a comedy with our group, it was Into the Night, and that that had a very mixed. Uh, reaction with people doing it. Some mm-hmm. people liked it, some people didn't, but it made for interesting conversations. This one, it's, it, you know, it's from Steve Martin's uh, oeuvre, as they say, um, but it's not one of his gr- better known ones. So uh, I just wanted to see how the, um, how the movies by minutes hosts handled it. Some people had seen the movie, some people had never seen the movie. Some people, this is their favorite movie. I hadn't, hadn't realized that, um, but it's been, it's been fascinating hearing all these different takes on the film. I bet, um, and I really, I really appreciate everybody being a part of this. Um, before we, before we close up, I have to ask because I, I also want to know, and maybe it's because of the song, and maybe because it's so close to the James Bond Goldfinger. I've always sung Bowfinger. Like, like <laughs> I keep thinking it's supposed to be a James Bond movie. When I hear Bowfinger, I have to remind myself, no, 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 that's about the 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 the, the parody about making a movie on a shoestring but i always for some reason i go straight to goldfinger every time i hear the title i think that might that might have been one of the reasons they never came up with a good name for this movie the original the working title when they were running it was bowfinger's big thing big thing yep was the original title and you know i mean it's vaguely sounds pornographic but um the you know it's i i think they went with bowfinger because that was the main name of the character but they couldn't think of anything anything that would match that would that would work on this you know the hollywood way or something like that they uh it it's you know and, but i think i think there's a lot of movies like that that you wouldn't recognize uh what the story was about unless you you know somebody told you what the plot was I, and that that is often a a failure point I, I think that you can point to an example like uh john carter walt disney's john carter i think they made a big mistake with that by not calling it a princess of mars because you hear john carter you think well, is this something about an auctioneer? Is a guy? I don't, who's John Carter? Yeah, was um, it was the guy that was in ER. Like, no, yeah. no, that's a. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do remember we looked up in the Urban Dictionary, and the closest I know we could come up with is a bowfinger is someone who's considered a disgrace to all humanity, somebody who lacks intelligence or success with the ladies, a, wow. a noob or a narb. And I'm and I don't know because I didn't confirm it anywhere, but did Steve Martin or or Frank Oz? hear that in sort of parlance and as a, oh, that's a bow finger. That's somebody who's never going to amount to anything. And they yeah. go, oh, I wonder if that's why we'll call it that. 
Yeah, they, they didn't mention, I listened to the uh, director's commentary and they hadn't mentioned where they came up with the name. So this, they were, well, maybe we can, op- if there's ever a, uh, a minute 99 of this movie, we can get Frank Oz on and ask him, what's, what's the story behind all of this? Tell us, how'd you come up with Bowfinger? Yeah. <laughs> before, before we go, I don't know if you looked this up because uh, I was just looking up the, uh, the, the kimono. Don't ask me why. Ah. And there was... If you had chosen to be paying attention, if you were doing nothing but maybe sitting inside in a Ju- a July of 2020, because I know maybe the rest of the world was sitting indoors July of 2020, Steve Martin actually auctioned off this very red robe that we are seeing in this scene. Oh, really? They had auctioned it off at a, at a website called Julian's Live. It was a live on like a, a, a um, online auction. And it sold out uh, at 10 a.m. on July 17th, 2020, for a price of $1,600. Wow. Well, it still had the essence of, uh, of Heather Graham lingering. Could have had any one of these actors, because I think you're going to get into it tomorrow that we'll see a second kimono. That's, that's true. <laughs> I'll have to find out which, which, who's, which kimono is whose. Oh, Where does wow. it say Steve Martin karate robe costume from Bowfinger? It was yes. lot number 658. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, and it's probably this this uh, podcast has probably made it double in value at least. I, I, <laughs> oh, at I, least a boy can dream. Yes. Someone wow. can now relist it in the auction. Go now. I'm going to get my money back plus some. <laughs> as dis- as discussed on the Bowfinger Minute podcast. Uh, wow. Well, again, Alan, thank you so much for for coming in here at the, yeah. at the very end. Uh, we've got one more wrap up show tomorrow, so please tune in for that. Uh, I must say, thank everybody for uh, for listening to the show. It's. Uh, it's been climbing through the chart. More people seem to be interacting with it as time goes by. And now, you know, pretty soon everybody will be able to binge it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I do appreciate uh, uh, folks listening. And I uh, must say, uh, you can find the Bowfinger Minute wherever you found this. Or if you're listening to this episode, you probably already know where to get it. But you can find a Bowfinger Minute out there on, um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, bowfingerminute.com. If you do have time, please like, subscribe, and review uh, the show on Apple Podcasts. It's amazing how many more people uh, listen to a show that has at least five reviews on the uh, on that mm-hmm. on that website. Uh, I also want to mention you, if you like to talk back with us, love hearing from people who are listening to the show and getting their takes on on how they feel about this film. Uh, you can find us at Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center on Facebook and over at Twitter. Easy to remember at Bowfinger Minute. Alan, where can people find you when they're when they're not listening to the Bowfinger Minute? Well, if you would like to dive into a couple of Gene Wilder movies one minute at a time, my buddy Walt Murray and I did a podcast. We called it The Wilder Ride. We did Young Frankenstein season one. We broke down Blazing Saddles season two. And then we turned around and turned and made it into a, a late night talk show format during uh, the, uh, the, the the years that the world caught the cold and uh, had a lot of fun with it, with everybody having to zoom in rather than be live in studios. And uh, I think a lot of the guests we brought in are fairly evergreen. I mean, you can still enjoy the chance for us to talk to an astronaut who just recently flew a mission on SpaceX. We had a guy that climbed to uh, seven of the world's tallest peaks, including Mount Everest twice. Uh, we had a guy that crossed across the Arctic uh, a couple of times. We had some B actors and actresses. We even had the woman who, were, who was inside the costume in season one of The Mandalorian playing the little, uh, what do they call them? The little nut nut guys that... Uh, um, oh yes, yeah, Ugnots. Ugnots, yeah. That was yes. like, uh, yeah. She was actually a gymnast in the costume to play the part because she was a tinier person, and had a chance to talk to her about being a, a rising actress in the world of Disney. So a lot of cool act- people that we interviewed that I think are worth going back and listening to if you missed it. 
Very cool. Wow. Well, again, Alan, thank you so much for being a part of this show. Hopefully you'll Absolutely. be on the, the next time we, we do this little outing, maybe a couple of months, but uh, we will have announcements uh, hopefully before the end of 2023. Uh, again, thank you again for listening. Please stay tuned for the for tomorrow's uh, final show. But in the meantime, please keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. <laughs> Together, children, I hope that we'll see you again, cause there's always one more.